Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. I'm your co-host, Ralph Velasco, and I'm coming to you from Chicago, where I've just returned after a truly incredible scouting trip to the republics of Georgia and Armenia. Today, we're going to change things up a bit, and you should know that I have a very special guest on the show today. You certainly know him. Of course, it's my co-host on the Traveling Image Makers podcast, Ugo Che. Hey there, Ugo. How are you and where are you these days? Uh, it's great to be a guest on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm home. I'm home. Uh, I won't be on for long. Actually, I'm uh, leaving tomorrow early morning for Scotland, where I'll be for, for a week. So uh, it's been kind of a crazy day with a lot of things. I always have uh, some last minute things that I that I think I need. So I'm going to... Oh, I was just... Just five minutes ago, I was thinking, well, I'm going to Scotland. What's the the best piece of equipment that I can bring to Scotland? And that's actually my wellies, or for people who don't know what the wellies are, the rubber boots. Yep. So they're very important. So I went down to my basement to try to find them. It took me a few minutes because I didn't remember where I had put them. But yeah, I've got my wellies. So I think I've got everything I need. I just need to pack everything then. Uh, go to bed early and get up early tomorrow morning and fly to Edinburgh and then we'll be driving around the Highlands for a week so I'm really excited about this right well we're gonna have to do an episode about that trip uh, and that vacation when you come back tell me do you have any like pre-trip rituals or things that you do that you've got to do before you travel can you think of anything I think the, the only real ritual is to, to compile a, a packing list. So I'm sure I'm not forgetting anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to be very, very strict about having a packing list, uh, especially when I started out traveling as much as I am now. Uh, but it's almost like I don't unpack. So I come home, I wash everything, and I put it right back into the suitcase ready for the next trip. And then, of course, I go through it and you know, take out what I don't need, put in what I do. And so uh, that's, that's kind of one of the things. The, the things that I, that I worry most are not the, the things that go into my bag, but all those uh, non-material things that I need to remember, uh, including things like, okay, do I have, well, the passport, of course, is material, but things like, did I do the check-in for the flights? Did I book uh, the the parking at the airport? Because I already book in advance. Do I have uh, all the information for the car rental? Because I'm renting a car this time. Do I have everything in order? I'm I'm a bit uh, obsessive about those things. Always uh, worried about forgetting something like that. I just did uh, my travel insurance this morning. Oh, I was forgetting about that. So uh, I should do a, a list of those things as well, not just my packing list. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the, the, it's it's uh, incredible how many moving parts there are to uh, to just doing a simple weekend trip sometimes. And uh, 
it, uh, it all adds up. A lot of and planes, trains, and automobiles. And the other little ritual is putting, taking out all of the photography gear and various equipment, technical stuff, and lining up on the table and deciding, mm, do I really want to bring this or not? <laughs> Do you uh, do you go through your memory cards and erase them? Uh, you know, do you do you go with a just a whole set of empty memory cards, or uh, do you kind of some from previous trips as you go? Uh, I try to remember to f if I need to change a card, I try to remember to format them before using it. Sometimes I forget. I don't format them all before leaving. Typically, yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that workflow in a bit as we get into this conversation. Sure. So uh, I know that you just returned from uh, some rather exotic travels, at least by my standards. Uh, you were just in Malaysia, Singapore, and Angkor Wat, Cambodia. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Uh, it's, I've been home for less than a month from that amazing trip. So it's a really, really fantastic trip. Those places I had uh, everything that I had imagined and more. They're really fantastic places. So, And I, I've done Cambodia many times, but I've only flown through Malaysia and Singapore. Um, so they're, they're countries that I don't know anything about, to be honest with you. So uh, I know that we recently did a, an episode with Matt Brandon and, a, and another photographer about Malaysia, so people we can refer people to that. But um, there were some other parts of uh, Malaysia that you were recommending for me because I'm looking for a place to go, sort of a beach destination, just to kind of hang out. And uh, you and I were going back and forth. I was in Romania, you were there. Uh, Tell us about that place. Yeah, so that. first of all, uh, we'd just like to uh, refer people to episode 146 that you can find at ttim.photo slash 146, where I interviewed uh, Matt Brandon and Pete DeMarco, who are two expats, American expats, living in Penang, Malaysia. And when I was there, we, they showed me around and visiting the, the, the city Georgetown, which is the, the capital of the Penang is a state in Malaysia. It's an island and Georgetown is the capital. And we, we spent a couple of days there. But before that, I was for almost a week uh, on an island off the coast of Malaysia that is called Perentian. Actually, Perentian is the name of a small archipelago. It's two main islands. They're called Perentian Kesil and Perentian Bazaar, which literally means small and big. Uh, in Malay language. Uh, so there are two, two islands that have uh, uh, recently opened to tourism uh, um, and beautiful tropical islands, uh, beautiful pristine white beaches, coral reefs. Uh, and I even got my, my little my uh, diving license there, my open water diving license, which I, I was never a diver. I decided, well, since I have some time in a place like that, I'd better go do some diving. Uh, it was my first experience diving, so I didn't think, I didn't bring an underwater camera. That was probably a wise decision because I was so uh, taken up with all the the things that I had to, to learn and to remember. And first of all, remember to breathe underwater. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so many things that because you're just starting with, with that and so many things that you have to remember. A good thing that I didn't have to worry about my camera settings in addition to all of that. But I definitely want to to do more um, 
diving and to do some underwater photography. So maybe in my future there's um, the underwater photography course that I will be taking on uh, sometime in the future, I hope. And uh, so we stayed on this island for uh, for about a week, just uh, as you said, beaching, relaxing. Um, I also did some interesting photography, mostly with my drone. Uh, the place is uh, is amazing with those uh, the color of the water, the turquoise waters uh, from the sky, uh, in the contrast with the turquoise waters, the white beaches, the amazing green, dark green vegetation makes for, for some great photos so that's uh that's a very very nice location especially if you want to combine some relaxation together with some photography diving adventure a little bit of everything well i was telling you that i'm looking for a, a sort of a vacation spot after my upcoming trips to india vietnam and thailand and this sounded like a just the kind of thing that I'm looking for, uh, how difficult is it to get to, say you're flying into Penang or Kuala Lumpur, how difficult is it to actually get to the island? So it's not very difficult, it only takes a little bit of time because the, there are no international airports nearby. Uh, you basically have to fly in from Penang or Kuala Lumpur to one of the uh, two airports that are on the coast near those islands. They are called Kotabaru and uh, Kuala Terengganu. I think I'm saying that right. So these are regional airports and you have to, to fly from either Penang or Kuala Lumpur. I think also from Singapore there might be some flights. And from there uh, you get on a, on a bus, uh, you, you drive to... Uh, typically if you book with a resort, they will organize the transfer for you. So from the airport, from to, the airport the to the port, and then there's a boat that take you from the port to the island. How long is that boat ride and uh, the bus? It's about one hour each. Okay. Uh, even less, whether the boat is about 45, 50 minutes. So it's not, mm. a, it's not a long uh, ride with the boat. Mm. And um, yeah, if you're not staying at a resort, uh, you might be staying at a guest house or so, uh, then you might need to organize the transfer from and to the airport yourself but it's uh, it's not complicated there are buses you can get a taxi a minivan something on the spot and okay i need to go to the port there and they will bring you there no problem no it's it's quite easy to reach actually it just takes some time and how about prices over there are things fairly inexpensive did you find them to be you know no, western uh, prices uh, uh, that found them to be quite expensive uh, considering we're in Malaysia. Um, really? Oh. Compared to Thailand, it's more expensive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. Accommodation is uh, relatively expensive mm, for a Southeast Asia country. Yes. Uh, mm. it's especially with respect to Thailand. I was able to find better accommodations in Thailand for less money. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, as far as what there is to photograph in, uh, let's talk, uh, continue talking about Malaysia right now or, or either country, um, how, what were some of the main categories of a shot list that you were focusing on? Was there a lot of people photography markets, things like that? Well, of course the, the islands were mostly nature. And if you can do underwater photography, that's a great location because, uh, I mean, sea life is amazing. Um, as for the other places, I mean, I was in Penang, 
which is uh, great for for street photography mainly. Uh, mm. It's uh, the center of Georgetown is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and they're trying to preserve this kind of colonial architecture uh, with um, and the street life is incredibly lively. There are great markets. There are um, street food. There, we happened to be there just when there was a street food festival. So Ooh, they nice. just closed down a couple of streets to traffic and there were carts and stalls everywhere. But even if there is no festival, you can... All small shop houses that do food. Um, there are many cultural events. There is a, a festival in the Georgetown Festival, which happens at the end of August. It's a great cultural event with uh, um, all kind of uh, things happening, things in the street, theaters, uh, uh, exhibitions. There's a photography um, festival even there. And then there are religious festivals like I think this was happening right the, the week after we left in the Chinese community there, which is the majority, they have the Hungry Ghost Festival. So they do parades, they have makeshift temples in the middle of the road with decorations, and then they burn things down, they have bonfires, fireworks, and stuff like that. Then there's great markets as well. So you can just go there. And the people there are very open to being photographed. Okay, that was my next question. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No no problem. Uh, you have to consider that Malaysia is a very multicultural country. And especially Penang is probably the most uh, varied, varied place in Malaysia. The Most of the population is of Chinese origin, even though they're, they're not they're long many generations uh, removed from the mainland China. They've been emigrated there many, many years ago. So they're kind of Malay Chinese. Then there's the Malay population. And then there's the Indian population, mostly from South India. And each one has, each community has different, uh, different culture, different attitudes, uh, and so on. Now, for some of the best food in the world. Yeah, the the Malay population is, (laughs) is mostly Muslim. Uh, you know, Muslim women are very reserved. They probably are less open to being photographed, especially if they are not in the company of their family or something. So you have to just to, to respect and be aware of that. The, the Chinese community and uh, and the Indian one are much more uh, keen to be photographed. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, uh, but no, no problem at all. Absolutely. Never had uh, an issue with it. Right. And so something that I'm often asked is, you know, did you have to tip people when you photograph them at all? Or is that not something that's done or accepted? No, that's uh, that's typically not uh, expected. People okay. there don't expect to. Uh, the, the situation is that, yeah, Georgetown is a, is a touristy place in a way. There's a lot of uh, European, maybe Australian, especially young people, backpackers and so on. So the the city is turning from into a bit of a, uh, especially some streets, lots of bars and restaurants. There's a Mexican restaurant. I don't know what Mexican restaurant has to do in, in a place like Penang. But so uh, it's becoming a bit more globalized. So there are more tourists. And I, I don't know if in the future the people there will resent being uh, uh, 
the subject, uh, the, the object of uh, attention on the part of photographers. But right now, no, it's uh, they're not there as, uh, I mean, you know, I think we discussed this in the past uh, also with Matt Brandon, especially this happens in India in some places because the, the people there are expecting to, uh, they, they learn that uh, they can get money from, from photographers coming from from abroad, from the West, so they, they expect it. That, that's not the case in, in Malaysia, not yet. Great. Well, let's talk a little bit about Singapore, because uh, this is uh, another place that I've not been. Uh, to Singapore, give us an what you uh, saw, saw there? In a way, similar to, to Penang, in that it's a very uh, melting pot, right? A mix of different uh, ethnicities. Again, mostly Chinese, Malay and Indian, a bunch of uh, Western expats, European, American, Australian, whatever. So, and they all manage to to live together in a, in incredible harmony. I would say um, every uh, culture has kept their own traditions, and you can move from neighborhood to neighborhood, and you can very clearly say where you're moving from Chinatown to Little India. It's completely different. Uh, there's a lot of mutual respect and acceptance of uh, everybody's tradition. There is, I don't, I mean, I was there just three days, so it's, it's hard for me to to judge those things. It's, it's very, I had a very superficial impression, but doesn't feel like there is any pressure to conform to a certain Singaporean lifestyle type of being. Uh, Singaporeans are Chinese and they're Malay and they're Indian and they're Westerner and and they all live together. So that, that that's a great, especially now that in Europe we we have a lot of immigration recently and there are movements and I was thinking about this uh, when I was in Singapore, right? In Europe we have these uh, movements and parties. Let's say, okay, we want, the immigrants are fine, but they need to integrate here. And I'm thinking, what, what does it mean to integrate? And in, I was thinking that the, the people of Singapore are incredibly integrated. That doesn't mean that they had to renounce their culture and their traditions and their language. People in Singapore speak two or three languages at least. And I, when I hear those things in Europe, I don't want to talk a lot about politics, but when I hear those things in Europe and I hear those people say, oh, yes, the people who come here, the immigrants, they must integrate. Sometimes what they mean is that they must give up their traditions in a way and adopt ours, which to me, after being having been in Singapore and having been in Malaysia, I think it makes no sense. You can be integrate, you can be a citizen of another country, and still keep your your food, your language, your traditions, uh, your religion, and everything. It's amazing in Singapore, the mix of religions in a single neighborhood. You can find the Chinese temple. The, it was two doors away from the uh, Hindu temple, which was a block away from a few, a Catholic church, which was a block away from a Protestant church, which was a block away from a synagogue. And was no problem at all, really. That, that's what I really liked about about Singapore, especially. So the multiculturalism, which 
<laughs> gives you an infinity of subjects for your for your photography for street photography you can just uh, never be tired of uh, of subjects and having represent representatives of all those cultures in addition to the amazing modern architecture that singapore is famous for but i was uh, surprised to learn that there's a, a side of singapore a, a part of singapore that is uh, very how can i say ethnic cultural and incredibly rich in traditions and uh, and those things and the food of course <laughs> yeah i was wondering if is there some sort of an old center or has the the modern these modern buildings and this modern culture taking over a lot of that i mean are there places to go see yeah, uh, yeah. i don't know uh, buildings and walls and things like that uh, yeah, uh, there's uh, the, those areas like uh, Chinatown, especially Little India. Uh, Little India is amazing. It's all those. Uh, the, it's a very small neighborhood, but it's uh, the streets are lined up with those uh, two-story uh, pastel-colored buildings, and I was never tired to just stand in front of one of those. And you see those Indian women dressed with their saris, which are all colorful. So okay, I'm in front of a green building and I'm waiting for a, an Indian woman with a pink sari to walk in front of it to make something that has great color contrast so that that's uh, I think that that architecture dates back to the 1800s and it's uh, in some places it's still preserved yes right so I mean that was what I was trying to get at is what is there to shoot there and I mean, so you, you kind of have to go to those neighborhoods to see some of that older, yep. old world. But those neighborhoods are very central. Uh -huh. I was literally, I mean, I was uh, from my hotel. I got a hotel that was in the middle of, of all of it, in uh, close to the, um, the heart of Singapore, where Singapore was founded, which is very modern now. Uh, but it's... Uh, 15 minute walk to Little India in Chinatown. Uh, 10 minute walk to the, the Keys where the Keys are in Singapore, there's a river and the Keys are where the old stores where uh, the boats used to come and offload and uh, uh, load their uh, their load, how you say. <laughs> and it's uh, so that's an interesting area too. Even though now those uh, stores have become restaurants and bars. And it's, uh, again, 15, 20-minute walk from Marina Bay, which is the hub of all that modern architecture. So also the center is very compact. You can walk around. Aside from having a very efficient public transportation system, you can jump on a subway and go everywhere, or buses. But it's also the, the, the center is very compact, and you can walk... Uh, uh, it's hot, so if you like, uh, <laughs> better not to walk in the middle of the day under the sun at the equator, but uh, you can walk, yeah. And were there uh, opportunities to capture that contrast between this very modern city and this old world parts as well? Uh, in, in a single photo, yeah, there were some, some areas where you can... Uh, I met a couple of people there and they showed me photos that they've taken in, in those areas years ago. And I said, uh, this is a photo I took like three years ago. And you can see those houses. And you see the same scene from the same spot you can see today. And there's a bunch of 
skyscrapers that were built in the last five years just behind those houses. So yeah. <laughs> a lot of change happening quickly. Yeah, it's change now. happening very quickly. Yeah. Now you talked briefly about uh, having brought your drone. Mm-hmm. Did you have any issues at all bringing it into either Malaysia or Singapore? Uh, I I only I brought in all, all of those countries, of course. Uh, I knew that in Malaysia it would have been no issue at all to fly it. Uh, indeed, I, I flew it in um, in Perentian, also because there was not a lot of people in the island and a lot of space and beaches where you can fly freely without having risk of hitting somebody. I did not fly it in Penang, so I know that uh, Pete DeMarco has a, has a drone as well. He lives there and told me, well, if you want to fly, we can go fly together. We just didn't have enough time. And same for Singapore. Uh, or maybe there are... You Laws are stricter. I didn't see anyone flying drones. Um, and yeah, so I don't think it would have been any a lot of problem. I I also, we didn't, uh, I don't know if you said that at the beginning, one other destination that I went to in the same trip was Angkor in, in Cambodia. And I knew that flying the a drone in the archaeological site of Angkor would be would require a permit and spend money so I didn't even think of doing it I mean there's so much to see I was just there again just two days and there's so much to see there just with your feet on the ground that okay maybe next time I'll investigate flying a drone there well talk to us about that you went to Angkor Wat and would you fly there from Singapore directly Uh, we flew from Kuala Lumpur well, we flew from Kuala Lumpur and then we flew to Singapore from there. Okay. Uh, so in Angkor Wat, what, uh, what what did you do there? Uh, we spent most of the time just uh, uh, visiting the temples. Mm. There's, there's so many of them. And it's so huge, each one. Most of them are so huge. I mean, Angkor Wat. Uh, so I was confused about this myself because Angkor is the name of the old city. Of the the capital of the Khmer Empire back in the Middle Ages, Angkor Wat is one of the, those temples, and I think it's the biggest one, right? And uh, Angkor Wat itself is so big that it would take hours to just to to see it all. And then there's hundreds of other temples, from yeah, the smallest the ones to the largest ones. <laughs> yeah, it's the largest religious complex in the world, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, Angkor Wat is just one of the temples. You've got Bayon and... So, so I'll just... Uh, I mean, I'm not an expert. I think you are the expert more than me on on all of Angkor and Cambodia. Uh, one of the uh, temples that we visited was called Tanei. I don't know if you've, uh, if, if you've seen it. It's a small temple. And it has... So there's not a lot, a lot to see there. It's very small and it's very crumbling, right? They didn't do a lot of restoration there. But because of that, it has a great atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing is that, in order, Tane is very close to the center of, uh, what's that, uh, Angkor Thom, right? The fortified city. It's very close, so it's very easy to reach. But the only road that goes there is not paved. So the tour buses don't go there. Nice. And our uh, we had a tuk-tuk driver that we hired for this, 
And he said, oh, you must go to Tanay, and you must go to Tanay. And I said, well, I don't know, it just doesn't look like much. It's a very small town. But trust me, go there. So we went there. I, I was there with my wife. We went there, and it was just me and my wife in the whole temple. Oh, that. And, I, you know, you've been to Angkor Wat, you've been to the Bayonne, and all those temples. And, I mean, it, nowadays it's impossible to go there and not be in the company of a few thousand people. Maybe a few hundred if you're lucky. And just, just imagine go there and so you have this kind of uh, uh, Indiana Jones slash uh, Lara Croft <laughs> <laughs> environment, ambient, and you're alone. And you're yeah. just uh, going into those ruins and taking photos with not having to wait for people to go by to get that specific angle. So it's called Tanay, it's spelled T-A-N-E-I, and I heartedly recommend it. Just ask your tuk tuk driver if you go there to bring you to Tanay. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never, I've never heard of it, uh, but I, there's nothing that I love more than being in these places by myself or maybe with my group or one other person, and just feeling like you're back in time. You know when that place was at its height. Yeah, and uh, avoiding all the tourist crowds, which uh, almost everywhere in the world are just. Uh, uh, you know, just all just crazy, crazy some places. But uh, so you also went out to uh, Kampong Fluk, is that right? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I didn't recognize the name. Yes, we yeah. went to Kampong Fluk, right? Is that how you say? It's the one of those uh, villages, floating villages, I think they call them. It's on the uh, banks of the uh, Tonlesap Lake. Mm-hmm. Which in the in the rainy season, which is the the season we were in, because uh, August September is rainy season, the lake grows so much that the village is not on the banks of the lake anymore. Anymore, it's actually within the lake, because the waters uh, spread out so much that you the only transportation that you need can use there is a boat. So we went there, which is a very nice, uh, I mean, you see those people living in those houses on stilts and having the little markets and boats and so on. It's a mix of um, uh, real life and kind of a touristy thing because they, of course, they have places, they have a restaurant there where tourists come and then they try to sell them uh, little stuff, trinkets and food and so on. Uh, fu- funny... Um, episode there we did it was uh, I mean they, they take you there with a large boat and then they that's a small boat you go there and if you want to go there's a mangrove forest where you can only go with a small boat and there's a woman which is uh, rowing the boat with a pedal and our uh, boat uh, boat woman had a little two little children on the boat with her and then you go by these other boats and, and they sell you stuff. And there's a, a girl who wanted to sell us um, uh, notebooks and pen, and pencils for the children of the school. So you say, oh, you want to buy those and you can give them to the children of the school. So you buy those and then the children come to you and you give them to them. And you know perfectly well that five minutes after you've left, they bring the, <laughs> the notebooks and the pencils to the same girl to sell them again to a hundred other tourists. But it's uh, uh, it's okay. I know you. Uh, if you know that, right? And uh, uh, I was okay with that. 
didn't have a problem. Doesn't feel like uh, um, giving them money for nothing. You're buying something, even though it's the same thing it's been sold a hundred times before you buy them. Yeah, we've had some really nice experiences there where we've actually uh, walked in on some classes, um, you know, been invited in yeah. Yeah, to some classes that were going on and uh, teaching the kids some English and it's it's fun to to be there the teachers you know very welcoming and uh, the students having some fun with us maybe singing a song or two um but the uh, yeah the floating that the the floating village of uh, Kampong Phuk is uh, really wonderful we i've been there a few times when the water was down enough that there was actually a street uh sort of a you know two or three hundred meter long street that sort of emerged from the 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 bed of the lake because the water level was so low so you could actually walk through the town mm-hmm. and uh and that's cool but uh i often was fascinated uh when you see there that they've got their wood their dried wood is you know hanging underneath the house typically above the water of course they've got animals in cages that are above the water and uh, life just goes on uh, as you know, the Tonle Sap that is the lifeblood of Cambodia and that whole region, and uh, the, the sort of the, much of the economy is based on on that lake. Uh, you see kids uh, in, dressed up in their school uniforms rowing boats to, to yeah. school to yeah. class. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really, really cool stuff. So, love to see that life on the water. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, doing those things. I mean, just going to a school and so on, and immersing oneself more into the the life of the place and which means being a travel traveler more than a tourist and i have to to admit this was very this was a vacation for for me and my wife so we were tourists there not travelers in a way we were ready to be taken around by the the tuk-tuk driver that the hotel had organized for us it was just just no time to to go a little bit more in depth but i would definitely love to to go back now that i've had this uh uh, exposure to a country that is uh, is fascinating. Uh, I would love to go more in depth. The, the people are, are amazing. They uh, some of the nicest people in the world, and it's uh, such a young country. I mean, it's it's hard to find old people. There's uh, children and children and children and young people. Uh, mm, so it's 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 a great country. I'd love to to go back anytime. So let let me know when you go back. Maybe what's that? I said let me know when you go back. Maybe we should go together. You show me a little bit more. Yeah, <laughs> what's behind sure. the surface? Yeah, was that your first time to Cambodia? It was the first time? Yeah, I didn't plan to go to Cambodia within this trip. I was just doing okay. Let's do Malaysia, then we do Singapore because it's uh, it's easier to fly to Singapore from from here from Italy. Uh, there's a direct flight essentially from Milan so we said okay we'll go to Singapore and, but we have I said we have plenty of time where can we go and I just was just checking flights and so on and I said well actually uh, Angkor uh, Rep, the airport is not that that far it's just a two hour flight we'll just hop on a plane and the flights there are cheap and just go there and see what it is and then maybe we'll, we'll come back uh, with more time in, in another occasion yeah, Cambodia is absolutely one of my favorite uh, countries in the world. I just love the people and the food and the history, the culture, just everything is just so wonderful. 
I'm going to miss it. Uh, I'm not going there this year. I've got another photographer leading our Cambodia Kingdom of Wonder trip this year, but uh, I'm going to miss it. <laughs> mm. So recently I mentioned that I was in Armenia and uh, I had my fourth memory card fail on me. And although in none of those four cases did I actually lose images because I'd already backed them up, uh, I'd put something up on Facebook about how I really despise SD cards. Uh, it's what they're, you know, they're moving parts. They've got that little on-off switch, and they're smaller than, I used to love those big, chunky CF cards. And, mm -hmm. and, they're, and they're, they seem so delicate. I mean, I've, you, uh, you couldn't possibly break a CF card, but I've had four of these uh, SD cards break on me because they seem so delicate. Uh, so needless to say, this stirred up a lot of discussion when I made that uh, comment on Facebook. Uh, and it was mostly about you know, people talking about their backup systems and protecting one's images. Talk to us briefly about uh, your workflow for backing up and storing images when on the road. So f first of all, I mean, yeah, those SD cards can seem fragile. Uh, so that I think that's a compromise. I mean, I, I like traveling around with a smaller camera. Uh, so, I mean, it has two SD cards lost. If it had two CF cards lost, it would be much bigger. So I appreciate that. But yeah, they, they can seem a little bit fragile. I actually never had an SD card fail on me. I mean, in, in, in as in catastrophically failing, uh, just being unrecoverable. Uh, actually, I have very old SD cards. I think I have uh, still some eight gigabyte cards. Uh, I had one or two that maybe the little context there just were just coming off so i stopped using them uh, but never. that's that's what happened to me it wasn't that the card itself like just i plugged it in and it didn't have images on it or something it was two times the, the little on off switch or the lock switch mm -hmm. broke off or those little contacts broke off and i wasn't going to put it back into my camera risking that something would get stuck in there yeah so that's my definition of what failed on me. Yeah, I see. Uh, no, in terms of um, backup, if I'm traveling for uh, fully equipped, let's, uh, let's say it like that. I have my, my main camera now, uh, the Fujifilm X-T3. Actually, I have a fun story if you want to hear it about my X-T2 failing on me when I was in Singapore. Not the cards, oh. the whole camera. <laughs> oh, okay, so yeah. I came home, I had to get it replaced, and I got the X-T3, which has two, like the X-T2, it has two SD card slots. I normally use as a, one as the backup. Uh, I can get a 64 gig car, which can last me for a whole trip, and then use the other one as a backup. So that's my first line of defense, having a, a card in camera. Uh, then... Typically, every night when I get back to my hotel or something, I offload the pictures to my laptop if I'm traveling with the laptop. Uh, and when I do so, I, at the same time, I back up them to an external disk. So I'm using Lightroom. And Lightroom, when you import photos, it has this function that lets you uh, back up to a different location when you're importing. So I have my little portable uh, hard disk, they plug into the laptop. I um, uh, offload the, I copy the, the import, the photos into Lightroom, which makes another copy. So every evening, essentially, I have four copies of every photo. And I 
never reformat a card until I'm back home and sometimes even weeks after I'm home if I don't need it I just keep using other cards now I've got enough enough cards that I can go for a month without needing to erase any pictures could be different if I start doing more videos actually I did quite a bit of video in, in this trip mm, so I just erased some uh, I just went quickly through them photos that were uh, just out of focus or I was just uh, doing a um, time-lapse experiment which was basically failed so I just deleted a, a few hundred photos in one batch because I didn't want to keep them and just make more room for videos but normally I would not erase photos so my my setup is uh, four copies of every photo yeah sounds uh, very similar to mine uh, although my Lumix camera does not have two slots so I shoot to the card, take it out, plug it into the computer, put it onto the computer's hard drive, and then export to an external drive. And then I don't write over the cards until I get home or I go on to another trip and I, I need to. Um, yeah. So at least three places. When I get home, then I export to a Drobo. So that makes it a fourth place. And then I have some other external drives that I keep in a safety deposit box. Um, yeah, no, but, of course, the, um, the second card in the camera uh, is, uh, is useful in, in case you, your, your SD card fails or you, you lose it uh, before getting to your computer and But if you lose the camera, you lose everything. Oh, yeah, of course. Both cards are not. Um, I, uh, I learned a couple things with all the, con the, the discussion that went on when I put this up on Facebook. Uh, one is that I may have been buying uh, counterfeit cards. Mm. Uh, I'd never even thought about that. I buy them off Amazon, and I, um, I don't have a particular brand that I just stick with all the time. I haven't found anything... Uh, there where I said, you know, well, this brand's always the one that's breaking, and so I'm going to stick with this other one. So that could very well be a possibility that I was purchasing counterfeit cards. Uh, there's also the fact that I have always been a proponent of using smaller cards, uh, uh, 8, maybe 16 gig cards instead of 164. I'd rather use 416s. And again, just further diversifying and you know, making it so that all four cards would have to fail instead of just 164. Uh, that, though, means that I'm putting cards in and out of my camera much more often and handling them a lot more often. So that's something that could, uh, you know, make things fail quicker, too. I had the issue with the, the, the pings of the card falling off, mm -hmm. uh, at least for one card. I think that that was not so much for putting it in and out of the camera, which is always all the cameras that I've used that are all very smooth. Mm, I had some card readers that were probably not very made to, to tolerance, so the card used to get a little bit... Uh, sometimes if it was not perfectly horizontal, it would just uh, scratch against the, the edge of the uh, entrance, the slot where the card slides in, so sometimes it would... Actually, now that I that I think of it, what I had break was not so much the little metallic contact, but is are those little plastic bits that are be, between the contacts. Yep. So yep. they just 
just started peeling off. And I, okay, I'll remove one, just enable to fit it in the computer, read the, the files there, and then throw the, the card away. Yep. But actually the contacts were still there, just without the little plastic bits. That's what happened to me twice was the plastic bits and then the twice were the little locks which broke on no, me. No, that never happened. The, the other thing the other thing you said about having four 16 gigs cards instead of one 64, for example. Uh, right now I'm using a 64. My main card is 64, but the fact that I have two in the camera means that, yeah, if one breaks, instead of losing a fourth of my picture, I lose nothing because I have the backup in camera. That, that's a great thing to have. I was uh, still, I mean, uh, you, you know that, uh, what's that, Nikon, Nikon recently announced their mirrorless camera and mm-hmm. everybody was complaining because it only has one slot. Uh, I said, you cannot use a professional camera with only one slot. Then somebody posted a, a meme on Facebook about, uh, uh, it was a photo montage of an old film camera with two backs. Right. This is how the professional cameras used to be in the day. You had uh, two film backs at the same time in the same camera, which of course is not true. I said, well, <laughs> back in the day when we were using film, we didn't have a backup roll, roll of film. <laughs> Still. And for the journalist, we put that in a bag, give to somebody to, to send it to the newspaper or something. <laughs> Well, no, there were there was no backup, so just to disqualify a camera because it doesn't have a second slot is is a bit silly. But yeah, we're become used to having that that safety. So yeah, yeah, and and I guess the other lesson that I learned that uh, you know four failures over the course of ten years doing this full time, as much as I travel, as many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pictures as I've I've made that percentage of failures probably isn't bad and you know it's probably expected uh, with the amount of shooting that i do so we have to lower expectations a little bit still a failure can be painful i mean uh, if you have that that photo that you you know you've taken it's great uh, and you really the whole trip you might think that's the greatest photo that you took or maybe the only good one and then if that specific car fails uh, that can be can be painful, even if it happens only once in a while. Yeah, but like I said, out of those four failures, I've never lost an image. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's always after I backed up. So I was just lucky, and uh, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't be so upset about it because really all I lost was a maybe a fifteen dollar card, and uh, it could have been hundreds, if not thousands, of images. I've seen more people lose images because they erased in photos from the card or formatted the wrong card it's much more happens much more often than cards failing human failure human error is the biggest cause of (laughs) loss of images i believe yeah no i totally agree with that well uh, anything else that you wanted us to know about uh, singapore angkor wat or malaysia right now Uh, no just uh, if you if you want to go to Malaysia, you want to go to Penang, I highly recommend it. And again, refer back to episode 146, not just because of everything that you can learn there that we haven't covered here, but because those two those two gentlemen are fantastic. They gave me, or with, with us for two days, showing us around. So get in touch with them. That will be uh, 
fantastic uh, guides to, to Penang. I also had the pleasure of meeting uh, a lady called Caroline Lim in Singapore. She was uh, she was not so so just great because I mean we had never met before. She showed me around all of Singapore, all of all of what we could fit in two days. And not only that, I told you that my camera failed, so she lent me her camera. Wow. I could take photos in Singapore. So, Caroline, if you're listening to this, thanks again. You know I love you. So, uh, I think she is going to move to the U.S. So, unfortunately, if you go to Singapore, go now. Get in touch with her because she's a great host. But do it quickly. <laughs> She'll be moving next year, I think. I see. Great. So, you mentioned that you're heading off to Scotland tomorrow. Is that a, is that a scouting trip? That's tomorrow, which... I mean, to tomorrow when we are recording this. So by the oh, time okay. this is out, I'll be back already. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a week. Yeah, we're doing a, a little scouting trip uh, in preparation, maybe for doing a, a tour, a proper tour there, maybe next year. We'll see well, what happens. Right. What else do you have up on, on your travel schedule? Any speaking engagements? Anything else you uh, want to tell us? Uh, well, aside from a couple of short trips to here in Italy, to uh, Tuscany and Venice uh, in October, November, to um, bring a couple, of, a few people there just for a couple of private tours. Uh, I, I just like to, to mention one thing. Uh, it's the thing that I launched yesterday. Uh, it has nothing to do with travel and tours. It has to do with uh, photography education. And it's what I call the uh, Closing the Gap Masterclass. It's a series of free videos that I'm doing together with uh, uh, my friend Fabrizia Costa. She's another, she's a great photographer. And we are going to do this. Uh, this masterclass is not about technique. It's about going beyond technique, going beyond the f-stop uh, talking about art, talking about self-improvement, best practices, habits, um, how to relate to photography and how to, to close the gap between where people are now. Sometimes people feel like they're stuck in a rut, they're not progressing, they're filling this gap between where they want to be and what their taste tells them that it, that is great photography. So we want to help people. It's a free program and uh, it's going to be start already when you are we are in the pre-launch phase but it's going to be start when this goes live but we are going it's still going to be uh, uh, open for uh, um, admission and uh, you can find everything about it at ucphoto.me slash ctg for closing the gap get in it's uh, it's going to be great i'm waiting for everyone there Great, sounds interesting. How about you? You just returned from from Europe. What's your next uh, trip or got any? I know you're doing the uh, worldwide photo walk again. Unfortunately, again, this is going to be before this goes live, so we don't have. Uh, it's not great to to promote that, but yeah, you know, I know you're going. I'm I'm going to be in Scotland, so I'm not going to do this this year. Yeah, I'm doing one uh, here in Rockford, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. This will be my seventh or eighth one. I think they've done 11 so far. So I was in uh, in town, so I thought I would uh, do one here. And uh, we've got a real nice turnout, so I'm looking forward to that. And I just got back from Armenia and Georgia scouting there. 
I've got a wonderful trip that I'm calling the Treasures of Armenia and Tbilisi, Georgia, and that is tentatively scheduled for September 29th through October 12th next year. Uh, we're just putting together the final details of the itinerary and everything else now. So I'm really looking forward to that. I was absolutely blown away by both of those countries, and we are going to talk about those in a future episode as well. So can't wait to uh, tell people about what I saw and discovered there. Finally, I've got a couple uh, spots left on my upcoming Cambodia and Vietnam trips in November, December. So if anyone's interested in that and is spontaneous and can move, move fairly quickly, uh, be sure to email me, Ralph, at Photo Enrichment, or my assistant, Sherry, admin at Photo Enrichment, and we'll get you all the information you need there. Uh, you can also find out about me on all the social media networks, at Photo Enrichment and at Ralph Velasco, and all my tours at PhotoEnrichment.com. How about you, Hugo? Where can people find out about you online? Uh, as usual, at ucphoto.me. That's the hub of everything I do. Uh, uh, social media. Um, I didn't. I wasn't as smart as you to get one one single handle for all of my social media channels. Of them, a little bit all over the place. Um, so just uh, search for me, Google me, Hugo Che, U G O C I. You'll find me. But just uh, the website has all the links. And uh, as for this podcast. Uh, once again, ttim.photo and join our Facebook group at the Traveling Image Makers Corner on Facebook. It's it's free again. It's a great community. We have this uh, contest. Uh, uh, we just published uh, an interview with the winners of the past content and we have the October contest. So when we publish this, there's going to be still time to submit a photo for our October contest and get a chance of being featured on uh, this show. Uh, easy, very easy to find it. Just go to ttim.photo slash Facebook and you will be redirected right there. Great. All right. And remember, if you keep at it, you can't get worse at photography. Now let's get out and shoot. <laughs>